Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would uh, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're in part three of a three-part series simply called Living by Faith. And today we're going to be looking at verses five to seven and looking at what Enoch did by faith, and that is he walked with God, and what Noah did by faith, he worked for God. And so let's dive in. Let's go to verse 5 and jump right in. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's refresh from last week quickly and then dive in a little deeper. Who is Enoch? What did he know? He's the seventh from Adam, chronologically speaking, and he stands, his life stands essentially between the creation narrative and the flood. He's about in the middle of that. He was born in about 3300 BC, give or take a few years. And the flood is in about 2350 or so. So he's in the middle of between creation and the flood itself. Um, he also overlapped Adam's life by 300 years. That's the weird thing, isn't it, about that chronology? Adam lives 930 years, and he overlaps Enoch's life for almost 300 of those years. Now, we don't know if Adam ever met Enoch, okay? But if you've still got Adam there, you have a chance that you might be able to hear what actually happened. So what did he know? What did he know? Here's Enoch between those two great events. But we know that he knows two things. First of all, from our text, we know that he knows how to please God. And so whatever God had revealed to him, he knew for sure that he could be pleasing to God by faith. Secondly, we know that he knew there was going to be an end times final judgment of the entire world. In Jude, verses 14 and 15, there's a prophecy given by Enoch that is recorded there. And I just want to read that to you so you know what it is. Jude, verses 14 and 15. It was also about these people that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord has come with many thousands of his holy ones. So Enoch, who's living between creation and the flood, is prophesying about an event at the end of time in which Christ is going to return, because that's when Christ will return with his holy ones. But he says, the Lord has come with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He knew a lot about people being ungodly. And he prophesied in the midst of that of a final judgment coming. It's also possible that God had told him that the flood was coming uh, by virtue of the fact that we said that Methuselah, his son, was named in light of the fact that Methuselah's name essentially means it's going to happen when he dies. And Methuselah died the year of the flood. But that's speculation. Enoch, at that time, knew how to please God and knew how to walk with God 
Let me read the text out of Genesis chapter 5. Now Enoch lived 65 years, and he fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God for 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. And he fathered other sons and daughters, so that all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we know from the Genesis passage, and we know from our Hebrews passage, the two things. That this man Enoch walked with God, and in his lifetime he pleased God. And as a result, because he pleased God, God in his grace, and God in a miracle, removes him from the earth just like Elijah. Enoch and Elijah are the two people in the Bible who are raptured out, who are taken out, and never died. And so what about this? What did Enoch do by faith? That's the point. You know, as we know in this passage in Hebrews 11, faith is not simply intellectual assent, but what does it do? By faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. What did Enoch do by his faith? Look again at verse 5. It's going to first tell you the reward of his faith. Then it's going to tell you the action that he did to get that reward. Look at verse 5 one more time. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. That's actually the reward. By a life of faith, it led to God taking him up and rapturing him out. But the next word is very important. It says, for, right? For he obtained, or because he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God, his action. By faith, Enoch pleased God. And God in his grace raptured him out of there. Well, if that's the case, then as I was referring last week, then we know that Pastor Plumley and Pastor Powell will probably be raptured out first. What about this rapture idea? What about this, you're out of here idea? Some people today struggle with that, even among godly Bible teaching churches, to think of there's going to be a rapture? Isn't that kind of weird? And that whole left behind series and, you know, what's going to happen? And so people have kind of given up on that. But here you have the first person who gets raptured, who prophesies of the end times just before that end time event's going to happen, the rapture's coming. And so I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4 to refresh your mind that you yourselves are hoping to be raptured out of here. Perhaps during my sermon, you're particularly hoping. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For Thessalonians 4, Paul always starts these eschatology, end of the world things by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be surprised by this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Enoch wasn't promised, as far as we know, that he was going to be raptured. Uh, Maybe he was, but that's not the way we'd read that. But we know that there is a coming event in which the church is going to be raptured. It should change the way we look at things. By faith, we have to first believe that. Not so we can get raptured, but it's here. It's crazy to look back at Enoch and say, yeah, he got disappeared. But God is saying in the New Testament, there's going to come a day when every Christian who's alive will be raptured. Now, the rapture is only in this spot, right? No, it's at least five or six other places. Remember, Enoch was raptured. Elijah was taken up in chariots of fire. Then they made a movie after him. And then Philip, <laughs> Philip's in Acts chapter 8 was translated from one location to another. And then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, now, I don't know if I was in the body or if I was out of my body, but I was taken up to the third heaven where he saw great things. And then the two New Testament ones that you have to address, the fact that the two witnesses in the book of Revelation who are raptured up after they've been killed by Antichrist, they are raptured up in front of the whole world, apparently. And then finally, remember this, Jesus was taken up from their midst at the end of the Gospels, Acts chapter 1, after he had talked to his disciples and his apostles, he then was taken in front of them and brought up. And it says, as you see him leaving, uh, he's going to return. Many rapture motifs in the, in the Bible. And this is part of our heritage. Why is the rapture story in there? It's because God's wrath is not on us, but on the world, and we will be taken out of the world. So how did Enoch actually please God, and how does that relate to us? He pleased God by walking with God, we're told. Walking with God. Now, there's a lot of fancy ideas about that, so let me address that really quick. For some Christians, when they hear walking with God, they mean, I'm going to go in and get my Bible and have a special private personal prayer time with Jesus, and it's going to be secret, and it's going to be, And walking with God for many Christians is just your devotional life. But we know that walking with God is really a metaphor in Scripture for your whole life. It's to walk on the path. It's to live with God in what the Reformers called quorum Deo, and that is in the presence of God. So as I looked through Scripture this past week of all the places where walking is talked about. I just picked out a few quickly, and I think you'll get a better idea that how did Enoch's faith please God? It wasn't a one-time event. It was walking with God consistently in a relationship with him. Here's a few ways that we walk with God in the Bible. In Romans 6, we're talked about the position of walking with God, and namely, we walk in the newness of life. We don't walk in the old self. Ephesians 4, is the purpose of this walk. We walk worthy of the calling that God has given us. In Galatians 5, it's the power for walking. We walk in the Spirit. In Genesis 17, God is talking to Abraham, and he talks to him about the presence of his walk. And he says, walk before me and be blameless. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, we're talked about the perspective of this walk. Walk by faith and not by sight. In Deuteronomy 8 is what I would call the pattern of the walk. We walk in his ways. 1 John 1, we walk in the light, the place of our walk. The principle of our walk is in Ephesians 5, walk in love. The person that we walk with is Colossians 2, walk in Christ. And then in Psalm 1, we're told the negative, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. All of those have to do with a lifestyle. The biggest point in Hebrews 11 that I think we have to remember about faith, and I've said it you know, each of the weeks, is simply this. Faith is not dreaming up great things to do for God. Faith is not creating content, but faith is trusting what God has already said and acting upon it and living, and I think Alan addressed this in his prayer, living by wisdom and aligning our life in light of what God has already said in the Bible. When we do mundane things and walk with God in all the ways that we're talking about here, and we live our lives in light of eternity, but we make mundane wisdom decisions every day, we're actually living by faith. Living by faith has gotten a category where it's almost impossible to figure it out, where it seems like it's only for elite Christians or people who took a leap of, they went to the mission field, so they had faith, but I just go to work every day. And I just raise my kids and we just do our dishes. And, but you can do those all to the glory of God because scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Living by faith is living for another world and doing everything that we're going to do in light of eternity, but not in giant. <gasps> the problem with going through Enoch and Noah today, Noah's faith is so incredibly high up here. It's so what? That we often think, I've got to have the faith of Noah. But I believe that God would give you that faith if he called you to be Noah. But guess what? Noah was the only person alive who was still preaching God's word. He was the one person building an ark to save the entire civilization that was going on the ark. That was eight people and a bunch of animals. And we're never going to be in that position. We're not going to be the one superhero. So how does that transfer over to us? Let me talk that through. When we talk about walking with God, each of us in this room is at a different place in coming into the path of that walk. I think scripture talks about finding the path. I think scripture talks about following the path like Enoch did. I think scripture talks about fellowshipping with God on the path because it's not just a bunch of laws. And I think that the scriptures talk about finishing the path. So it depends on where we are in this story of faith. For some of you in this room, finding the path to walk with God is actually the first step of faith. It says in Matthew chapter 7, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are a few who find it. If you're not a believer here today, we're back to that. You don't need to walk by faith in some big, amazing thing. You need to take God at his word and find the path through Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer here today, then following God on the path and fellowshipping with God on the path are the way to please God. That's what Enoch did. He walked with God and he pleased God. What does that even mean? Well, as we talked about all those walk pieces, it's a relationship with God. And it's to live your life in light 
of a relationship with him. And then finally, finishing well. I think this doesn't always just go with age, that is chronological age, but often does. If you're a believer here today and you're older than... Me. (laughs) Which would be 63 until my birthday in six weeks. So if you're older than 63 years old and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your thoughts have to be that you're at a stage in your faith where your question is, how do I finish well? How do I run this whole race? And then you're in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Run with endurance the race that is set before you. Because it tells us, because of the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, run with endurance the race that's set before you. And there's a lot of things in our final race between 60, 70, 80, and 90 years old, if the Lord gives us, that's a different stage of life. How do you finish well, even if you've had a glorious beginning? And so these are all parts of faith. Faith is not simply one activity, it's a whole life. And I said recently, I think this morning, uh, Eugene Peterson's book, A long obedience in the same direction. That is a life of faith. How do you end well? So what kind of faith then pleases God? Well, in in this Hebrews 11, I want to give five terms that I think everybody in Hebrews 11 would fall into one of these buckets. Let me do that really quick, and then we'll dive down a little more into this faith of Enoch. When you look at all the characters in here, 17 people are named in Hebrews chapter 11 by name, and then there's a bunch of people, and there's just a bunch of people by faith. But in all of them, you might be able to put them into five buckets of faith. I suggest that there's faith in the word of God, faith that worships God, faith that walks with God, faith that works for God, and faith that waits for God. Let me slow that down. When I look at all of chapter 11, I see that faith in the word of God is always the beginning point. Guys, if you are a dedicated Christian, you love the scriptures, you will be saying, yeah, yeah. But the difference is this. Living by faith is finding out what the Bible says and then doing that. Living by faith is not figuring out, I'm going to say it for the 38th time, what sounds like a good plan, And then I'm going to do one more, though. The biggest place where this falls apart for godly Christians who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. This is where the next one I'm going to mention is like where everybody just loses their mind. And it is this. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture in counseling and in preaching and teaching and and general life. But when it comes to guidance from God about how to know God's will, people absolutely lose their mind. What do I mean? Some of you are like, amen. It's easy to believe the Bible is sufficient to tell you all about life and godliness. And then ask the question, how do I know what God wants me to do? Who to marry? Where to go to school? Uh, What calling I should be in? Where should I live? The big questions of life. And we lose our minds. Because what we think is, I have to go find God's secret, perfect will that's been hidden, that God's not telling me, it's mysterious, and I have to go find that. And I have to find it by faith. Because Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You make it sound like he was wandering around like an Alzheimer's victim. Abraham was told 
about the land, and he was actually led there by God. He didn't know what the final destination is. The reality is faith in guidance is not. I don't know God's mysterious plan for my life, but it's my job to find that plan. So faith is me trusting that I'm going to find the mysterious plan of God that he's hidden and that he'll show me through inner things and my feelings or people's messages to me or signs and wonders or whatever. That is often how Bible-believing Christians look at guidance. But in fact, and we all know, those who've read it, Gary Friesen's book on decision-making and the will of God and other such books remind us in Scripture that real faith about guidance is this. What did God say? And then wisely applying it to the decisions of life. Um, Carla and I have some dear friends named Brian and Betsy who will hate me after I give this story. Just kidding. And so here's their story of how they came together because they love Jesus. Uh, They were praying and they didn't know if they should get married. So they were waiting for a sign from God or that inner feeling that God would tell them who to marry instead of looking at characteristics in scripture and all of that. So one day Betsy was out praying on a rock and she was sitting there and she was like, Lord, do you want me to marry Brian? And a butterfly came by. And it landed on the rock. As Brian has said, I hate that butterfly. (laughs) She took that as a sign from God that they should get married. That's a bad way to decide who your mate's going to (laughs) be. I say all this because I don't have time to develop the whole guidance thing and all that. But I say this. Faith is believing what God says and not searching for what you think God has hidden from you. God's secret will is not something to go seeking for. That's called prophecy. God isn't telling you what's going to happen in the future. He's telling you what already you need to know. But what if I don't know whether I should buy the Honda or the Mazda? What if I don't know if I should do this? God's word gives you freedom then to wisely decide. All right. An excursus on guidance. But as the main place I see Christians lose their mind in living by faith, because it's what God says applied to daily life. So we've already looked at Abel and that he worshiped God by faith as creator and savior. Today we're looking at Enoch, who walks with God. In a moment, I hope, we're going to look at Noah, who worked for God. And then foundationally in this passage in Hebrews 11, when you read it on your own and as you reflect on it, you'll be reminded that people had to wait for God. It's almost a consistent story. God promises something, then there's like 50 years. God promises something, it doesn't happen immediately. And that might be where you are in your faith walk right now. You even see promises in Scripture that you believe God is going to do, but you're in a waiting place until you see what happens. Well, let me read a few of those, and then I will move on to our brother Noah. I want to read a few verses from Hebrews 11 that will help us, I think, to get the picture in our mind that people are waiting on God for something greater than a response from him in this time. All these died in faith, we're told in verse 11, without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country 
of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Then verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin, this is Moses, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. And then finally, verse 39. And all these things, all these rather, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Old Testament saints await that glorious kingdom in which we will all have the reward of what is the great reward of our faith. It is to be with God. God is the treasure. That's why it says in Psalm 73, whom do I have in heaven but you, and with you I desire nothing on earth. Okay, in simple fashion then, Enoch walked with God. That's how he pleased God. He lived a life before God that pleased him, and God took him up as a picture of God's favor on the church in the, in the future and those who'd be raptured. All right, will you go with me to verse 7 then, and let's take a look at Noah. He's our last character of the day, and the faith of Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his family, of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. First point, faith that works for God always begins as faith in the word of God. Pretty simple. Why did Noah do this? Again, you're going to be like, Dave, I think you said that 22 times. Yeah, and it's this. Noah didn't go out and, and go, Lord, I'm looking for ark faith. I want to trust you for something big. I'm looking to do something grandiose for you, and I'm going to trust God that if I build an ark, God's going to use it for his glory. No, that's presumption. God told him and warned him what was going to happen. So he believed God and then he built an ark. That's what we do. Now, see, if I really want to be popular, I would then say to you, what is your ark? Because friend, you can build an ark for God. And when you leave here today, you're going to feel like an ark builder. Just do what the Bible says, man. You're good. So by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. What had not yet been seen? Worldwide flood to begin with. Now, you have to ask uh, uh, Rob Thompson, who's teaching Genesis about the question of whether they had had rain on earth or not. Christians disagree about whether there had been rain yet. Uh, according to those different passages. But we do know this. No worldwide flood had ever happened before has never happened again because promised, God promised through the rainbow picture that that's never going to happen. So things, yet, things not yet seen. Noah believed God's warning that the whole earth would be judged. So three things about Noah's faith. Number one, he was an example. Number two, he was exemplary. And thirdly, he was enduring. What do I mean? 
He's an example of the faith that pleases God for all of us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That is, we look to the things we've never seen, heaven, God's eternal throne, angels, the victory of the future, God's judgments. All of those things are future yet unseen to us, and yet we have a conviction that those are so. Noah's faith is exemplary. That is, it's not just an example, but it's just the highest level. Why? Because he believes the entire earth is going to be destroyed. And Noah's faith is enduring. He stood alone in the midst of a wicked generation. Think about what Jesus said about Noah. If, you, if, if Jesus talks about you as a character from the Old Testament and gives you a high recommendation or speaks highly of you, it's a wonderful thing. And in Matthew chapter 24, it says this. Jesus says, for the coming of the Son of Man will, ju- will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and watching NFL playoff games. Oh, it doesn't say that. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Simple. How does Noah's faith speak to us, first of all? Uh, This very thing is, Noah's faith is not unlike the faith that we still need. Uh, It's coming. The tribulation is a real thing. It's not just an eschatological point in the back of the book of Revelation. The worldwide destruction that is going to come and then the destruction of this earth and then the new earth that's coming, it's just as real as when Noah knew that the flood was coming. The only difference is Noah would have known a timetable probably. God said 120 years, that be, that, that's all I'm giving mankind before the flood would come. Noah was probably building for 50 to 75 years his ark as we look at the chronology. But the point is he knew a better timetable but we have no idea. And so that's why scripture tells us many times, in light of that future, purify yourselves. Live for that world and recognize the lost people right out there and recognize that money doesn't last forever and the stuff we live, right? All of those values are in light of an ethic of an end time judgment and an eternal reward. Noah had it and Jesus said, it's gonna be just like that when I come. You know, we've been warned about a lot of things in the scriptures, the eschatological end time, individual sin and its consequences, family sin, sins of a corporation or of a a church or of a nation, and what those lead to. So I might ask two quick questions. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but number one, how much spiritual light did the people have before the flood came? You know, some people, maybe not you because you love Jesus and you read your Bible, but some people are of this opinion in the world. You talk to them about the flood, and they're like, man, those people were living in caves. They were cavemen, and they didn't know anything. There wasn't, any, you know, there wasn't anything. Really. Here's some things to think about. That when Jesus says it's going to be like the days of Noah, uh, they had the witness of nature, Romans chapter 1. Everyone's without excuse. They had the witness of their conscience, Romans chapter 2. They knew what was right and wrong in their hearts. They had the witness of a redeemer, we talked about last week in Genesis 3. They had the witness of blood sacrifices. They had the preaching of Enoch. They had the preaching of Noah. 
It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people who protected Noah, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And then Genesis 6 verse 3, they had the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Really? Then the Lord said, my spirit will not, con- uh, will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. That's it. And then the flood would come. And then finally, they had a witness of guys like Adam and Methuselah. (laughs) Uh, Many of these patriarchs live close to the flood. So what was the ancient world like? Jesus said, when I come, it's going to be like the ancient world. What are some ways in which that is so? Here's a few that I wrote down really quickly. They were so involved with their day-to-days that they were oblivious to God's impending judgment. They're living for this world through sight. I've already read this, but Luke 17, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. You see, the picture in your mind that is being told is that when the ark door started to close, somebody's having a wedding. They've been preached to 120 years. Get on the ark, repent. People are like, yeah, yeah. You know, they're having their weddings. There was rapid technological advances going on. They were forging all kinds of tools of bronze and iron, we're told. Their thought life was impure in that generation, that every inclination of their thoughts, of their heart, was only evil all of the time. Thank God they didn't have an internet. There was widespread violence, Genesis 6.11. Now the people of the earth were corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. There was a population explosion, Genesis 6.1, when man began to increase in numbers on the earth. They were preoccupied with sexual activity and possibly organized satanic activity, depending on who the Nephilim are and depending on what the sons of God are and the daughters of men and that whole thing. But there's stuff going on that was bad. There's a rejection of God's word. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. There's a corruption throughout society, Genesis 6, 12. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And there was widespread words and thoughts of blasphemy because all of the harsh words and ungodly words that sinners have said against him. Thank God our generation is not like that. I don't think a week goes by that... I have something happen to me that rarely happened to me 20, 30 years ago. And that's utter shock at the reckless ungodliness and wicked violence that's happening in our nation, let alone all the way around the world. It's not a predictor of this is the last day. Uh, This could be, God could wait 500 more years, or this could be the final day. But the reality is we're living in a time that's getting worse and worse. It is not a season of revival. It's not a season of reformation among the church. God is allowing, for whatever reasons in our nation, a a, a degradation and a decline in holiness and in the freedoms. And um, this is going somewhere, more in a Romans 1 type pattern. So do we have the faith that Noah had? Do we have the faith that Noah had? We don't have to build an ark. We have to respond to the word of God and the revelation of God in light of a coming judgment and of a future glory. How do we live our lives today 
we wake up in that light and that's our first look. That's a future that's certain. I can't, this isn't certain, but that's certain. So I'm going to conduct myself in light of that. But you know, people today, even in the church, deny the flood in some ways in order to deny the end times, right? It's called uniformitarianism. But let me refresh your mind of what Second Peter says about the whole flood thing. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? <laughs> you have that person in your family? Is that what you got? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. That is, look, there's never been anything cataclysmic. You guys are crazy. It's a denial of flood geography, of flood theology, so that you can say no great judgment has ever fallen on everyone. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water and through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. I was having kind of a hard day a couple weeks ago, you know, one of those days. And so I got my car, I think it was lunchtime. I left here to go get some lunch and there'd been some rain and it was kind of coming up. And I got over to about to Macaw, you know, where Wegmans is and up in the sky, giant rainbow, right? You probably saw a giant Mahuka rainbow. And I knew where I was going with this passage eventually, but I was so encouraged. It was actually just a moment of God's covenant that he would not destroy the earth again through water. But, and I'm not being silly, but I immediately thought, but he is through fire. <laughs> you know, you know, y'all are good, not really. <laughs> so, all right, just a couple more things. So faith in the word of God, my last point, faith in the word of God leads to obedient work for God. That's the point of Noah. Faith in the word of God, he believed what God said, led to obedient work for God. That's how you see the manifestation of faith in this case. It says, in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. What's great is you get the motivating factor behind him. In reverence. It's the same concept as in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. That's what drove him to do that. I picked out a couple of Proverbs and a Psalm that reflect, it's almost like Noah could have had this tattooed on his arm because a couple of these verses are almost like his direct application of what God said led to what Proverbs tells you. Proverbs 10 says this, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Sounds like Noah's life. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence and his children will have refuge. And then Psalm 147, 11, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. Noah was told by God and in reverence, in a fear of the Lord, he acted because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the very thing, it's the application of scripture. So three last points, two last points. Let's just do one. No. <laughs> Two last points. 
Noah obeyed exactly as God commanded him, and Noah's obedient faith was rewarded by God. He obeyed exactly as God said, and it was rewarded. Because God says in verse 6, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It says in Genesis 6.22, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did it. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. I think the point of that is simply this. He did exactly what God said, yes. And that is what our approach to pleasing God is, is not having categories that we've timed out of holiness. I do everything scrupulously for the Lord except for my taxes. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Alan works for the IRS. Not having places that are hidden from God. And then Noah's obedient faith was rewarded by God, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By his faith, he pleased God, he did what God said, and he condemned the world... And he is considered an heir of righteousness or justification because of his action. What does that basically tell us? Two things. Noah was declared righteous before men. What he had preached and what he had lived was now vindicated by the flood. He said it was coming. Nobody believed him. He's now vindicated before them. He condemns the world by his very actions. And then secondly, Noah was declared righteous before God by faith not by his works. He wasn't picked because he was righteous, it says in Genesis 6. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord, which is he found grace. And thus God had saved him by his grace. And then, I won't read this, but Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis has some very good things to say in comparison to how the ark is a picture of Christ, not to be preached on, but devotionally to speak. What Noah showed us is get in the ark. God will secure you and protect you. And our faith has to begin with finding the path in Christ, following and fellowshipping with God, and then finishing well. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us in Christ. Lord, we do not deserve these great benefits. Uh, We cannot have faith that will somehow please you by inventing it. But Lord, help us believe your word and trust you that if we align our lives by the work of the Spirit and by your grace to it, that we will please you in our generation and bring glory to you, good to your church and good to our own lives as well. Lord, give us the grace this year to live more by faith and not by sight. And we thank you in the name and through the blood of Jesus. Amen.